0: Guess, can you put that there for me? Can I get that get a small day. set as well? Thank you. Yeah. B. Be- Good morning, church. Good morning. Say good morning, church.
1: Good
0: morning. Isn't God good all the time. and all the time? Hallelujah. Was it Gremble's favorite artist? Was it Rick James? I'm not sure, but he said, and I'm just uh, kind of tweaking his. His verse: If serving Jesus is wrong (laughs) Then I don't want to be right (laughs)
1: This
0: is good to serve the Lord This is good to be in His presence I'm so excited to be a child of God Jesus said when His disciples came out Casting out devils, healing the sick Trampling on serpents He says don't rejoice But the demons are subject to you Rejoice that your name is in the Lamb's book of life I'm glad to be a blood washed Holy ghost full child of God this morning What an honor In the kingdom He said the kingdom belongs to such Belongs to the children of the kingdom And so David said I've learned to wean myself as a little baby In the arms of, of his mother And the moment we lift ourselves up pride and begin to think we're bigger than usual bigger than the ordinary then God says to us what he says to or what he said to King Samuel he said was it not when you were little in your own eyes that I blessed you and made you king he exalts the humble he brings down the pride uh, those full of pride and uh, you know, I, I miss those kind of testimonies in church, you know yeah. You know, uh, back in the day we used to have evening services It was testimony time And for a long time growing up I would hear those testimonies of all the brothers and, and mothers in the church Get up and say, man I'm so glad to be a child of God To be blood-bought To be saved To be born again And then way down the line You know, with a New age message filtering into the church we got to hear the testimonies. I just want to thank God for blessing me and promoting me and nothing wrong with all that. But can we get back just to a simple appreciation for the blood of Jesus that has not that has not lost its power amen? He still saves. He still redeems, he still sets free. And he can do it for you. Amen. Amen. We're not going to waste any more time. Family, I uh, saw so a message in our praise and worship groups. The way he said, hey, I had to just cut the praise and worship short because Bevan has a 13 page sermon. <laughs> can we pray? Father, forgive my wife.
1: <laughs> forgive her. Lord. Yes, Lord.
0: And I pray Lord you bless this time of fellowship we have together I pray Lord out of everything that I said here this morning I pray two things will happen inside of our hearts Firstly Lord we'll get to understand And we'll get to gain the courage And understand all the implications of drawing the line being faithful servants to a sovereign king and second of all lord i pray that throughout the series and throughout this message you'll create inside of us an insatiable desire thirst an appetite for the word of god and the voice of god and the things of god and the spirit of god and the kingdom of god You see, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled You're looking for a hungry generation A thirsty generation Let us be that generation Generation of Jacob who will seek you And say I will not let you go until you bless me So Father bless this time we have together, bless your servant as you would dive into the complexities, the book of Daniel. Pray, anoint my lips to speak as an oracle, quicken my mind to have the mind of Christ in the name of Jesus. And everybody says, Amen, 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 amen and Amen. Book of Daniel, chapter one, we're still in chapter one. At some stage in my preparation, I'm wondering, are we ever going to leave chapter one? (laughs) There's so much in chapter one, but if you're at Daniel chapter one, please turn it with me. Please, please turn it with me. Please. I need you to see every verse of scripture, every verse of scripture. Last week we read, um, we read through the entire chapter and uh, a preacher friend of mine said, he listened to my sermon. He said, hey man, you're you're bold. (laughs) never seldom heard of a preacher read a whole chapter in church you know we're was trying to sneak you out um, like the buildings on fire but daniel chapter one can we stand can we stand for the reading of the word you need to stretch your legs some of you yeah you your bones cracking the bible reads as follows in the third year from verse one of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God, which was Mordak. The king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, the young men in whom there was no blemish but good-looking, you single ladies there thinking, man, want I alive in Babylon, <laughs> my goodness, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand and had the ability to serve in the king's palace and Whom they might teach The language and literature Of the Chaldeans And the king appointed for them Daily provisions Of the king's delicacies And of the wine which he drank And we were sitting at the W0 Yesterday we were having some breakfast And I was tempted to order the Babylon bowl
1: (laughs) The Babylon
0: bowl With all these veggies and stuff And the Bible goes on to say in verse 5 And three years of training Were allocated for them So that at the end of that time, they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You would know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and into the bed you go. (laughs) To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave them Daniel, to Daniel the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego but Daniel purposed in his heart but Daniel purposed in his heart the term but indicates a contrast indicates a contradiction in the flow of thought. but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies Not what the wine which he drank Therefore he requested of the chief of eunuchs That he might not defile himself And now God had brought Daniel into the favour And goodwill of the chief and the eunuchs And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel I fear my lord the king Who has appointed your food and drink I fear him For why should he see your faces looking worse Than the other young men who are your age Then you would endanger my head before the king so daniel felt him sorry the bible says in verse 11 so daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over daniel hananiah michael and azariah please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink and so the daniel fast was instituted Then let our appearances be examined before you and the appearances of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies as you see fit So deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them 10 days. At the end of 10 days their features appeared better and fatter in flesh Than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies Thus the steward took away the portion of the delicacies and the wine that they were to drink, and gave them vegetables. Amen. God bless us the reading of his word. You may take your seats. Amen. I last week we dealt with some of the features and characteristics of the book of Daniel. Uh, we went into great length trying to lay a foundation and the historical setting for the occurrence and the reason for why Daniel wrote the book of of, of Daniel and why he he penned down this uh, twelve page or twelve chapter uh, book. And this Sunday, this morning, I want to kind of set the premise for everything I'm going to say by highlighting perhaps the main reason and purpose for him writing this book. If you read the book of Daniel you must come to the understanding and place of of reasoning where these are people who have had their nation destroyed okay when you go further into the history of Daniel you find out that Babylon not only besieged uh, Israel and tore down the temple and destroyed the city, broke down the walls. It was actually a two over two-year period where they were just besieging Israel. And what Babylon did over a period of two years was that they encamped around the city of Jerusalem and Israel, and they had cut off their fresh water supply. They had cut off all their food supply. They were starving inside their own city walls. So for two years, they, they systematically broke Israel down and they experienced what you call three periods of deportation, three, three exiles. They took the first batch and Daniel was part of the first batch, over 3,000 young men. In the first deportation, Daniel was included and there was a second one and then there was a third deportation but during this period they were so despondent and they were so depressed and they had lost all sense of hope that there will ever be a people again and that things will ever be better again I mean we're here now in South Africa and we're complaining about about Lord Cherry and Eskom but we will never have it as rough as Daniel yeah. the children of Israel so buckle up <laughs> and so the reason why he writes this letter Firstly, is to encourage them in this time of darkness and hopelessness and he lets them know that God has a plan for his people Second reason why he writes this is that he's also in his prophecies revealing his plan for the Gentile world the nations of the world and the third key reason as to why he's writing this book is that he's introducing The kingdom motif The concept of the kingdom of God Because it wasn't a concept That was stressed and emphasized In previous years to Israel And so he's introducing the concept of the kingdom of God And in Daniel chapter 2 verse 44 to 45 Daniel interprets the dream of Nebuchadnezzar And it reveals God's plan to set up the kingdom to set up his kingdom because if you look back over the period of the judges and the history of Israel they had repeatedly fell into idolatry and they were completely distanced from God and God says I'm tired of you you failed me I'm going to set up another kingdom but this kingdom has always been on his heart always in his plans and so he says to Nicodemus in Daniel chapter 2 he prophesies in those days of the kings the God of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed and this kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end but will itself endure forever. It's a kingdom that's going to endure forever and he said nebuchadnezzar that stone you so broke that was broken off from the mountain without a single hand touching it it crushed the kingdoms of iron and bronze and fired clay and silver and gold the great god has told the king that this will happen in the future the dream is certain and the interpretation is reliable there's another kingdom coming that was the promise and then as the narrative unfolds in daniel We get to chapter 7, which last week we explained is the hinge in the book. It's the centerpiece in the book of Daniel. Of all the prophecies and of all the narratives, this was the agenda of the book of Daniel. Daniel prophesies and says, I was watching in a night vision and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came before the ancients of days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all the peoples, the nations and the languages of those would serve him. And His dominion is an everlasting dominion. We shall not pass away and His kingdom will be one that shall not be destroyed. This kingdom is not going to consist of one tribe and one tongue and one language. It's going to be a a biryani bowl of every nation and tongue and tribe. And this kingdom is going to be an everlasting kingdom. And this kingdom is going to be given to one who is called the Son of Man. And so when we get into the New Testament When you get into the New Testament Israel is still under bondage Rome is now the new seat of power Israel is still not a free people And Jesus and John the Baptist come onto the scene And John the Baptist says, repent, there's a kingdom coming And then when Jesus comes onto the scene, Jesus says, repent, there's a kingdom coming. There's a kingdom at hand. And what Israel had long awaited for in the promise of God, Christ now came to inaugurate. And so Jesus comes Declaring a kingdom Mark 1 verse 15 Jesus boldly exclaims He says the time is fulfilled And the kingdom is at hand The kingdom of God is at hand Therefore repent and believe in the gospel And what he is really saying is that The kingdom of God is in your midst Luke 17 verse 21, Jesus precisely says this to the Pharisees and the multitudes. He says, the kingdom of God is here. It's in your midst. And why would he make such a bold statement? Because the king is here. The king of the kingdom is here. Amen. Amen. A fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7. And so, wherever the king is, the kingdom goes. Goldsworthy stated in a quote, "Jesus embodies the kingdom motif of God's people in God's place under God's rule." Unquote. The kingdom of God is where Jesus is, and where Jesus is king, and where His people follow His rule, and where His people seek His will. And so jesus told us to anticipate this kingdom he told us the kingdom is here and he went about proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of god luke chapter 8 verse 1 and he taught us when we pray we pray your kingdom come and he taught us that in our pursuits of life matthew 6 verse 3 he says seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness And he told us that if you want to enter into this kingdom, you must be born into it. Unless you are born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so the Bible says in Colossians 1 verse 13 to 14, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son not only did he come declaring the kingdom but he came to demonstrate the kingdom of God told the Pharisees as he was casting out devils they said you cast out devils by Beelzebub by the lord of the flies by, by the chief of demons and he says no if I cast out demons how was satan divided? a house divided cannot stand he says, if I cast out demons by the finger of God know that the By by the finger of God, know that the kingdom of God is in your midst God's rule is here. God's king is here So he demonstrated the kingdom of God by what he taught, by how he loved, by how he performed signs, wonders and miracles By how he related to people. He demonstrated the kingdom And he didn't leave it there He said, I'm going to deploy the kingdom I'm going to give you the kingdom, and so when he dies, he's crucified, he's buried, and on the third day, he he resurrects from the dead, defeating the grave and defeating death, and he ascends to heaven. But but before he ascends, he meets with his disciples, and their concern is the restoration. Of the nation of Israel and so in Acts chapter 1 they ask him Lord when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel when are you gonna restore Israel as as a nation again and he says to them it's not your business to know the times and the seasons that the father has committed into his hands but know this when the Holy Spirit comes you will be my witnesses Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What was he saying? Don't concern yourself with the national state of Israel. About this kingdom. There's another kingdom coming. And that kingdom's coming in the Holy Ghost. And why do I say this? Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 14. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And there is a huge parenthetical phrase in this verse. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I know some of you are thinking of Ron Connoli's song right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, music's that good. You, you, you hear and see it everywhere, righteousness. Peace, joy in the Holy Ghost And so he says, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking But righteous peace and joy in the Holy Spirit The kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit He deploys the kingdom He gives us the kingdom And so Jesus is the start, the inauguration And the culmination of the kingdom of God Because he's coming back again and the Bible says in Revelation 11 verse 15 At the seventh trumpet The uh, seventh angel sounded his trumpet And with loud voices there was a shout in heaven The kingdoms of this world Has become the kingdom of our Lord And of our Christ And he will reign forever And ever And he's coming back And his kingdom will have the final rule. Amen. Amen. Amen There's all people who believe that today He's coming back again the last thing I want to say to kind of set up everything else I want to say this morning is that the kingdom of God must not be thought of as a subculture subcultures exist as in their state they exist under a dominant culture, under mainstream culture and they are presided over and ruled over by this mainstream culture There are various types of of subcultures There's the criminal subculture in a nation you know I think in in Italy in the States at one time there was the mafia you know Yes in Africa we got the (laughs) Tzorzi's you know Uh, We've got the government And you have religious subcultures. Okay, you have religious subcultures. You have uh, religions in, in, in different nations. In in South Africa, we have you know the, the, the African culture with with various uh, you know uh, values and, and systems of thought and systems of behavior. And then you have the political subcultures in countries. But these are, and the list goes on. But these kind of are just subcultures of a predominant culture in a, in a nation. That presides. So each subculture has its values and has its norms and has, you know it has its distinctions from the dominant culture. But the kingdom of God is not a subculture.
1: Yes.
0: Yes. The kingdom of God is a counterculture that goes against the dominant culture. Countercultures, have opposing ideals opposing values and principles and means of power and jesus was right when he stood before the roman government and said my kingdom is not of this world had it been of this world i would have tens and thousands of legions right here now but my kingdom doesn't operate like your kingdom it's a different kind of culture different system of belief a different kind of power and so when he prays in the garden in John chapter 17 he prays for his disciples and he says Lord I pray that you don't take them out of this world don't take them out of this culture keep them here they're not of this world just as I am not of this world Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world God has created a kingdom And satan Has created a counterfeit kingdom And that kingdom Is the harlot Babylon When you get to Revelation 17, the angel addresses Babylon in the book of Revelation. It says, you know, in the King James, the King James gets a little rough, you know, the King James language translation reminds me of an artisan, you know. <laughs> he says, the whole Babylon, huh, the whole Babylon <laughs> you know, has fallen, Babylon has fallen, ah, you know. Babylon had ceased to exist since Rome Ceased, scholars speculate that there may have been a little village called Babylon But Babylon was non-existent when John wrote that Non-existent What's even more shocking is that in 1st Peter Peter's writing is is his epistle in code Because the saints are being persecuted and he opens up and he addresses to the saints that have been scattered in the five quarters of asia minor and he says to the exiles of asia minor he's identifying the believers as exiles because persecution has broken out and then in, in chapter 5 verse 13 he says she who is in babylon greets you he speaks in code for the church she who is in babylon greets you <clears throat> Peter, are you, are you crazy? Babylon does not exist. But what Peter is doing is, he's in Rome. He's writing this from Rome. And he's sending greetings from the church in Rome. And he says, She who is in Babylon, the church who is in Babylon, greets you. The, the church who is in Rome greets you. And what he's implicitly stating is that Rome has become the new babylon because babylon is no longer a physical nation babylon is a spirit and the city has become the spirit and so satan sets up a counterfeit kingdom and jesus lets us know in matthew 11 he says from the days of john the baptist until now the kingdom of god suffers violence and the violent take it by force What was he saying? He's saying that there is an intense warfare that surrounds the kingdom of God with the spirit Babylon And so he says if you're going to receive the kingdom of God You're not going to receive the kingdom of God passively So some of you are having the fight of your life. You don't even know you're in a fight Some of you you're catching the hiding of your life (laughs) You know, one time, this is guy, we friends now on Facebook, but uh, yo, I was so s- small, scrawny, and had a big mouth And I lost the game of marbles, I must have just been in high school <laughs> And I said, I want my marbles back And he said, no, I want them to. I said, I have them now, I'll hit you And I recreated those marbles <laughs> I recreated that statement, my whole life, why
1: did I say that? Huh?
0: And I found myself in warfare And I was just looking up from the floor. (laughs) And then I said, I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump on the (laughs) other. The kingdom of God comes with much warfare. And warfare is happening in a realm you don't see. That's why it's a struggle to read your Bible That's why it's a struggle to come to church Man, I see some of you Once every millennium in church It's a fight, it's a fight The cut, the water's been cut The light, so the iron's not working You're in a fight of your life <laughs> Amen, Amen. I, I said that To bring us to verse 1 and 2 <laughs> okay Bible says in the third year of the reign Of Jehoiakim king of Judah Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon Came to Jerusalem and it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim King of Judah into his hand Some of the articles of the house of God Were taken, they were carried away into the land of Shinar to the house of his God And he brought the articles into the Treasure house of his God Now history Will record For you inform you that it was Babylon who took siege of Judah but the scripture puts it this way that Babylon did take siege of, of Judah but it was the Lord who gave Judah over you must be able and discerning enough to not only look through a natural lens you must look through a spiritual lens too don't only interpret the events of your life naturally it must also be interpreted spiritually when God blesses you with a job because you know somebody who knows somebody you can look at it through a natural eye and perspective and say, hey, I'm connected man that's how I got this job, you asked me how I got the job, I'm connected man but if you have spiritual eyes you'll see that it wasn't really your hand it was the Lord who opened the door it was Him from the start, you taking the credit He said, I did that, you spoiled little bread, I did that <laughs> I that. And so Jesus rebukes the Pharisees in Luke chapter 12. He says, Whenever the clouds are rising from the east, you are quick to say, The shower and the rain's coming. And when you see the wind blowing from the south, you say, No, the hot temperatures are on the horizon. He says, Hypocrites, said fools. You discern the face of the earth but you fail to discern the times you fail to discern the times and so the Bible says that the Lord gave Jehoiakim over to Nebuchadnezzar the irony in this is that Jehoiakim's name means the Lord raises up but God did not raise him up, God brought him down and if you go further into the chapter it's difficult to not notice the parallel and contrast that Daniel is making between Jehoiakim and Daniel. (laughs) The text very cunningly invites us into a comparison of Jehoiakim and Daniel. And when we take the bait, we discover that both men were from royal descent. Both men had their names changed by foreign kings. Joakim's name was not Joachim. He was the son of Josiah and his name was Eliakim. And when Pharaoh had defeated his father in battle and removed his eldest brother from the throne, he renamed Eliakim Jehoiakim. Daniel's name was also changed by a foreign king to Belshazzar. During Jehoiakim's third year reign, he fell into the hands of, ba- of Babylon's king During Daniel's third year of training, he was presented before that same king In verse 1, Jehoiakim is handed over to the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar In verse 9, Daniel is brought into favor in the kingdom of Babylon God expresses his pleasure on one and he expresses his displeasure on another Come on. and in verse 2 the bible says that some of the artifacts of the house of god was carried into the land of shina the house of his god and brought he brought all these treasures into the treasure house of his god and there's a significance in the statement daniel is not giving us an insignificant detail he's giving us a cue for a narrative in chapter 5 that he'll go into detail about But this is not the first time an artifact was carried away from the temple of God. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, the Israelites took the Ark of the Covenant into the battle with the Philistines. And the Ark of the Covenant was captured and Israel was defeated and Eli's daughter was bearing child and she gave birth. And because the glory of the Lord was taken away, she named the child Ichabod. The glory of the Lord has departed. And in a symbolic and emblematic sense, Daniel tells us that the articles are carried from, from the temple of Solomon into the treasures house of, of Babylon's king. He's also telling us that in a similar sense, in a symbolic sense, these Hebrew boys were also carried off into the courts of the king. But these boys would prove to be vessels of honor sanctified and meet for the master's youth prepared and furnished for every good work daniel makes a passing reference to these artifacts to give us a cue to an early warning of a narrative that will follow in chapter 5 where god would judge nebuchadnezzar's son belshazzar for his blasphemous feast, when he brought all the prostitutes, and it was just debauchery and drinking and, and drunkenness, and they take the vessels, these artifacts, and they use them for drink and wine. And then God judges Belshazzar and an inscription for the second time in the history of the world. God writes something on the wall. He first wrote on tablets, now he inscribed something on the wall, and it read as follows: Mini, Mini, take a apostle. And so Belshazzar called for a wise man who could interpret that no one could except Daniel. Daniel comes and interprets the writing on the wall. And he said it means that Belshazzar, God has numbered your days and brought an end to it. He's weighed you and has found you wanting. Your kingdom will be divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And so it happened. The capturing of the temple artifacts was not a strange practice in the warfare of nations It was an ancient practice of war that when a nation captured your artifacts They were making a simple declaration that our gods are greater than your gods So when Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar captured the artifacts from the from the temple of God He was making a dramatic declaration That our God, my God Is greater than the God of the Hebrews Greater than the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob Oh, but he would soon find out That God would not take that Bold, brazen declaration lightly He would vindicate himself Like he would do every single time Like he did in the land of Egypt He would vindicate himself And he was going to do it in a conspicuous way, in a noticeable way. He would take four Hebrew boys captives and use them to vindicate his name. And he would let this king, this Gentile king know that there's no power given to any king on earth except it comes from him. And so in verse 3, the Bible tells us that the king appointed and commanded Ashpenaz, who was the chief of eunuchs, to bring some of the people of Israel, the royal family. They must be young men, they must have youth on their side, they must be from no a noble descendant from a royal family, they must be without blemish, they must be good-looking, skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding and competent, and have the ability to serve so that we could train him for three years in the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And what I want you to see here this morning, from the onset, that these verses... Are detailing for us Babylon's system of indoctrination mm-hmm. <coughs> this is how Babylon indoctrinated and reprogrammed their exiles yeah. the funny thing is is that these tactics are still used today
1: yeah. Yeah. Oh,
0: they just recycled repackaged and redeployed so the first thing babylon does is that babylon assimilates the best and ostracizes the weak yeah. he said bring me the good looking the intelligence those who are royalties and those who are resourceful or skilled those who are competent that's the first way a dominant culture imposes itself on another yeah takes a weaker culture and just discards the weak and feeble and it assimilates those who are considered valuable and strong give me those who have potential and promise of future this was strategic why did Babylon treat these boys so well I mean you get to drink what the king's drinking You get to eat what the king's drinking You get to live Amongst the king's courts You're now royalty You're given position And rank in the courts of, of Babylon Why would Babylon Give power To their exiles Because it was strategic What do people With power want What do people who have power want they want more power yeah. and when one power doesn't crush another power it seeks to patronize it it seeks to exploit it and so these Jews are recruited these Jews came from a place of being resourceful, having influence, having good interpersonal skills, good looks, they show promise for future leadership. What was Babylon's tactic? Let's wine and dine them. Let's recruit and convert. You still see this operating today, you see the spirit of Babylon operating today, you know, every now and again you see how. Oh, my goodness, what is what is Trump doing with Kanye West? <laughs> Yeah? What is Ramaphosa doing in the village <laughs> Smiling with the, with the influential in the village yeah? What does a pop icon have to do with politics yeah? Sometimes you see a social movement being supported by athletes And celebrities All at the purpose of driving the agenda That's how the spirit of Babylon works You see that in the church as well What was the second step in Babylon's system of programming? Emasculate the men. (coughs) Daniel reported to Ashpenaz. Ashpenaz was the chief of eunuchs. One plus one equals two. Daniel was a eunuch that fulfilled the prophecies in Isaiah chapter 39 and 2nd Kings chapter 10 where God says I will bring judgment to my house and some of your own sons who will come from you and from your, and your king shall be taken away and they shall be made eunuchs in the palace of Babylon Woo. so they would take these young men it was an ancient practice of Babylon they would take these young men and they would emasculate them they Will castrate them. No. They just took away everything. <laughs> just, just like that. Just, you know, like, I suppose that's why David, Daniel said, You can throw me the lions there, donkey. You've done the worst. <laughs> and just, oh, my word, every man's worst nightmare. Emasculated the men. That's why Daniel never married. Shadrach, Meshach, and the never had wives why would Babylon castrate the men? because by emasculating the men you'd make them weak they'd be able to focus on the affairs of the kingdom without distraction because woman be the threat.
1: <laughs> they
0: come with so much trauma you know so by castrating these men making them impotent making them weak he take away their power and give them the ability to focus and concentrate on the needs of the kingdom of Babylon and they would literally prevent them from perpetuating their line and it will prevent them from mixing and inbreeding with the Chaldeans. there are three prevailing methods of emasculation today some of you men are get shocked how does the spirit of babylon emasculate our men today Through pornography, through abortion and through the deconstruction of gender it's a tactic pornography is a tactic to keep men chained to indulgence and chained and weakened by pleasure the science will tell you that if you are fixed on pornography you you lose a certain aspect of your brain and your ability to think by making pornography accessible and easily accessible on your phone anywhere you know, before you could hide a mattress under your bed <laughs> you had to put a coat on your phone but and by making abortion easily accessible you are removing the very things that make men strong what make men strong? Delayed gratification. Relational investment. They invest in in relationship. And they have a responsibility to society. So when when you make these issues and and these struggles accessible, you weaken men because they don't want to commit. They don't want to invest in relationship. They don't want to be responsible. They know that, oh, if there is an oopsie, just go to the abortion center. High accessibility of porn and the low cost of abortion simply means, in a nutshell, high pleasure minus the low cost of responsibility. And the spirit of Babylon pushes the cultural diet of pornography and abortion for the purpose of disfiguring the design of man, distorting the image of God. Men become men through responsibility, leadership, sacrifice, and service. Those are the ingredients that make up a man. And men in this culture have abdicated their roles because they become slaves of pleasure. And so what do the women say? They say, you know, he's an absentee father, you know. And what does the world say? Toxic masculinity. Men have fallen from their responsibility because they've been emasculated. Sleeping around with every woman is not a sign of manhood. It's a sign that you've been emasculated. Getting drunk every day, posing and partying and, and, and not looking after your kids. Not looking after your home that's a sign that you've been emasculated the spirit of Babylon has castrated you and you failed in your responsibilities as a man and what does the culture of today drive and push the deconstruction of gender <laughs> it's becoming increasingly difficult for the world to answer the question what is a woman because men are menstruating and having periods, yeah. men, are, I saw a picture. Was some easy pregnant and of bundle? Like, Let's not do this. Because when when you die, when you and when you period, and, and and some archaeologists finds your bones, they're gonna see this was a man, or this was a woman. <laughs> they're not gonna say this was a trans breed, or you know, transgender. They're not gonna say this was a it or cat. People are identifying as cats and animals. we are seeing a war on sexuality like never before and it is your responsibility as a man in your home to protect your family, protect your kids transgenderism serves and aims at misconstruing God's design it's a dangerous delusion they're seeking to swing the culture. We are in the middle of war. Arm your kids. Where the church has failed in this area, and please nobody stone me when I walk out this door. The Roman Catholic Church. Okay, please don't misquote me. I give the whole context of the message. The Roman Catholic Church, if you're Roman Catholic, Please take no offence But the Roman Catholic Church has been the main driver for the spirit of Babylon in emasculating the men The priests have been forbidden to marry And so as a result, we see them fondling little boys When you see pictures of their angels and their artwork the, The angels look like babies with dead stomachs Like little cute babies That's not a picture of an angel an angel is a warrior-like figure When you see the pictures of Jesus Jesus has long blonde hair, Somebody here, you guys are praying for and straightening out And he has feline feminine features You see him with soft lips and, and, and cute fingernails That's not the picture of Jesus And so for ages the Roman Catholic Church has been driving the spirit of emasculating men And what have they done? they venerated Mary yes. They've lifted up Mary the mother of God and Idolized her And we've emasculated men through the ages That's why as a result As a spin off After all those centuries We call a prayer meeting Or we call uh, Accounts Of women in the church And we only have women in the church Like to my count here There'll be more wo- well, Women will outnumber the men Amen. The men are off there At Old Trafford or fixing cars or riding motorbikes <laughs> Sorry <I couldn't...
1: laughs>
0: <coughs> The third method of indoctrination of Babylon is found in verse 5b the king appointed them three years of training So that at the end of that time they might serve the king the spirit of Babylon still uses education as a leverage for its ideological framework. Yeah. Studies education, our, our our institutes, I mean, you, you you'll be surprised one day when you sit down with your kids and you go to their natural science books and yeah. biology and, and you sit down with your kids who are off at university to find out what they are purporting. what the spirit of this age is trying to do is disengage the believer from the word of God from the truth and as a result postmodernism has crept in to this generation the view of postmodernism holds that there are no universal truths and absolutes truth is in the eye of the believer whatever you believe that's true you know what you say is okay what you say is okay you know Church is just one thing. What God says that, that's just one thing. There's other religions, you know, we're going, to be, we're going to be inclusive, you know, we're going to be tolerant of everybody's, you know. But to serve, to serve, Jesus made such exclusive claims. He said, I'm the only way to the Father. I'm the way to the Father. That is the most difficult and and most dangerous verse in the Bible. Jesus said, I'm the only way not Buddha, not Muhammad not even if you live a good life yes. and you did nothing wrong you don't get to the Father except by me yes. that's a very exclusive claim yes. and what does the world seek to do? That's no, it's okay he lived, lived like an animal the whole life we say rest in peace you with the angels now, you've grown your wings no 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 <laughs> Jesus was very precise about the way very precise he said that's the way that's the way that's the only way there's no other alternatives okay let me hurry along And tolerance has slipped, has slipped in all truth now claims to be equal the irony about tolerance is that this culture of tolerance is very intolerant of Christians
1: <laughs>
0: oh, oh very intolerant of Christians very intolerant And the last way that Babylon indoctrinates its exiles is found in verse 6 and 7. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah from the tribe of Judah and the chief of eunuchs gave them names. Daniel called Belshazzar, Hananiah called Shadrach, Mishael called uh, Meshach, Azariah uh, was called Abednego. The names of the Hebrew boys were changed. Daniel. His name means God is my judge. It's Hebrew. His name was changed to Belshazzar which means Baal will protect. The false god Baal will protect. Shadrach, Shadrach's name who was Mishael was changed to Shadrach which means inspired by Aku. Aku was another false god. Meshach, the name Meshach means belonging to Aku and Abednego means servant of Nebuchadnezzar. So they were given heathen, idolatrous, blasphemous names in an attempt to disengage them from their identities and to disengage them from their past. Why did Babylon do this? Because Babylon understands that there's power in language. There's power in words. And if you can formulate a new language and aggressively punish those who don't comply with the new language you can disconnect people from the identities we see this happening at a tremendous rate in the West and it's filtering its way into South Africa we've been doing this for a long time even in the church we don't call sin sin anymore we rename it You know When someone's fornicating We say they're cohabiting When people are late They say no, no, no You're not late You're just at a reschedule time <laughs> Sin must be called sin There's a warning in Isaiah 5 verse 20 God said woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The Bible says in verse 8, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the king's food. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the king's food and with the king's wine. And he said to the chief of eunuchs, I will not allow myself to be defiled. I had no control over my name change. I had no control over being in the University of Babylon. I had no control over these things, but but he saw an opportunity to draw a line. What we don't see in this passage when it comes to the offering of the king's delicacies and the tables What we don't see is the reason why Daniel saying, no, I won't defile myself. Scholars suggest that there's three reasons. Firstly, the type of food that Babylon was offering was in violation of the Jewish kosher laws, which you see in Leviticus 11 and Leviticus chapter 7. Secondly, the food and the wine that was offered by Nebuchadnezzar was offered to idols. And so in the broader context you actually see this as an initiation rites for the Hebrew boys thirdly which I think is the most important thing about this meal that's been offered that scholars are suggesting that the food was a symbol of allegiance to the king because if you read in chapter 10 Daniel's explaining a prophecy and he says how the king the king has The king of Judah has partaken in the delicacies of the king and the food of the king. And so in uh, 2 Kings chapter 25, Bible also underscores the fact that Jehoiakim, after being handed over to king Babylon, actually after a while swore allegiance to king Babylon, uh, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And in verse 29 it says that he was actually eating at the king's table so anyone who ate the king's food and ate the king's at the king's table and from his delicacies understood that when you eat from the king's table you swear allegiance to him and Daniel says no 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 I swear allegiance to one king the king of kings and the lord of lords so what does Daniel do he draws a line of demarcation Of his conviction to differentiate between his convictions and their culture this is the line this is where my convictions are and you can kill me for it and then when the chief of eunuchs said hey but if you're going to take such a bold step don't you know the king's going to have my head and so Daniel considers him and says okay Test us for 10 days We won't eat the meat But test us for for 10 days So pretty much he didn't have a choice The chief of eunuchs Because Daniel was willing to die For his convictions But he considered his life The life of of Ashpenaz And he said test us for 10 days And so the Bible says that Daniel Purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself And when we get deeper into this narrative and into understanding Daniel's decision and his resolve not to defile himself, can we just for a moment acknowledge the unsung heroes of this passage? Daniel's parents. Not listed. But yes, a boy possibly 13 years old. 13-year-old boy taking a stand for his spiritual convictions that speaks volumes to his parents My God, I wouldn't leave my kids one moment at the sugar table (laughs) Don't trust them around sugar (laughs) Daniel was between the ages of 13 and 17 and could have been easily manipulated or influenced he was sent into exile because the entire nation of of Judah was wicked they have forsaken God they've forsaken their morals and here's still a family who groomed a little boy in the midst and middle of wickedness this was a God-fearing home that taught daniel the scriptures and it's apparent to see from his convictions that he grew up in a god fearing home train up a child in the way they should go and when he's old he won't depart from it proverbs 22 verse 6 teach your children the scriptures don't Abdicate that responsibility to the children's ministry. I know you're doing a good job I know you send your children off to christian schools But ensure that you teach them about god that you teach them about the trinity that you teach them about marriage That you not just teach them you give them a biblical worldview. view You shape their perspectives and outlook of life. You say baby god that, that didn't just happen because Of abc this happened because god allowed this to happen You impart to them a biblical worldview because when the tide of Babylon comes against them, they need to be able to draw the line. What have we? What have we done? We've left them with a cell phone on TikTok. We've left them to social media, and we failed to teach them a biblical worldview. Teach them to forgive. Teach them to. They're going to need that in the world out there. Teach them to give. Give them a hundred rand, spending money, and then ask them to give it into the offering next week. Yeah. Yeah. Or when you're driving by and you see another kid with no school, school shoes on or shoes, say, "Baby girl, take off your shoes." But why? They, why, Daddy? They, my favorite sneakers. Take them off. There's someone in need. Teach them practically and decisively how to teach them the principles of God's word. <laughs> A minister asked a group of children in Sunday school once, Why do you love God? And he got a variety of answers. But the one he liked the most was from a boy who said, I guess it runs in the family. Come to church as a family, serve God as a family. This promise is to you and your household. Daniel's decision was made in advance. He purposed in his heart He purposed in his heart He's not going to defile himself So that when the opportunity came He had already purposed In his heart There's a power in deciding in advance Some of you have already decided You lost the temptation Before the temptation happened you Say I'm weak I'm just weak I'm not really good I, you know, I, just, I, have a, I, I know myself man I know myself Stop that yeah. Purpose in your heart. I'm not going to fall at this temptation. I know the party is on Friday. But, yeah, I purpose on. I'm not going. I'm not going. It's decided. Klar. You know what the word decision means? Decision is related to the word incision. Incision means to cut into something, decision means to cut away from something. So whenever you make a decision A decision I am saying decision (laughs) Whenever you make a decision You are separating yourself From all other alternatives
1: There's only one option
0: for you The reason why many of us stumble into temptation Stumble into sin Is because we have not decided in our heart beforehand This is who I am This is what I stand for This is where I draw the line Daniel's faithfulness and he stands in chapter one with the king's food prepared him for the lion's den because he made a bigger stand there there's something when you get to chatting about Elvico, Vico me at the refreshments table there's something in gym, a concept called progressive overload you know, you don't just jump man you're just getting to the gym and you're pushing here yeah, under kg deadlifts and and bench press. No, you kill yourself. You you don't lift with pride and ego. You don't lift you. You start off with a five kg dumbbell. The five kg. Am I right, Sansha? Am I right, Remy? You start off with a five kg. Okay? And once you build up strength on the five kg, you don't jump to the 10 kg why do you think in my gym if you see my social media stuff we have fractional weights we have a 2.5 kg we have a 5 kg we don't jump ten, in tens ooh you'll die in tens <laughs> you go from 5 kg 7.5 have 12 kg 12.5 15 kg progressive overload and that's how you build strength that Daniel he started at the king's table he said no and when they said, We'll throw you in the lines, then he said, i pulled up the resistance. You can throw me there. You can throw me to the line. Now, some of you are failing and stumbling over the small tests. And then, when the big test comes, you have no resistant power. You can't flex the 20 kg because you've stumbled at the five. You wouldn't even pick up the five kg. <laughs> God rebuked the. Children of Israel Jeremiah 12. I'm gonna wrap this up very quickly He said if you have run with footmen and they have wearied you How are you going to contend with horses? If in the land of peace where you trusted You were wearied What will you do when you come to the swelling of the Jordan? Daniel drew the line in the sand Demarcating line, made his convictions clear without throwing a scene. He protested without toy toying. <laughs> you don't see uh, all the fireworks. He was able to disagree in a hostile environment without the dramatics. Oh, come on, husbands, you should be saying amen. <laughs> All your husbands, yeah. We can have a disagreement. Why do you throwing a plate?
1: Yeah.
0: I'm speaking in metaphorical yeah. pause now, okay? Yeah. In <laughs> figurative language, <yeah? laughs> okay? And sometimes when you express your, your, your convictions, you don't need to be theatrical about it. You say, no, this is my stance, I'm sorry. Okay, if, 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 let's just see how this works out. Let's negotiate, but I'm not moving from this line now when when your methodology and your, your attitude is wrong it just everything just goes south from there and you say no, no 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 this is my convictions you all going to hell you all going to hell no. no do it in the spirit of courtesy and love Daniel's courage and convictions inspired his friends who's taking the lead in that conversation? with the chief of you, that's Daniel but Sherek, Meshach, and Abed are numbered with him and they're all refusing, but Daniel's taking a bold step and he's saying no no, no we're not going to do this he's speaking for all of them your convictions and your courage will always inspire others there's a leadership TED talk around that Daniel's convictions were also translated into courage courage is the key to great leadership sometimes a challenge we have is that our convictions never translate into courage we leave them there I'm going to say this in closing <coughs> notice verse 8 and 9 but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the Portion of the king's delicacies know what the wine with which he drank and requested the chief of eunuchs not that he not defy himself Daniel made the stand Daniel expressed his convictions And then the Bible says in verse verse 9 now God had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill with the chief of eunuchs Notice that the favor of God Located the faithful servant Favour always finds the faithful The problem with us is that we are so wrapped up in this concept of faith To get something When it's in our own interest, yeah, faith It's, you know, we must believe you know, for that door for that. Because in our construct of, in our minds about, about what faith is We see faith as something that we can use, a leverage we can use to get what we want But faith and faithfulness are inseparably linked You cannot separate them. In fact the same Greek word for faith can be translated into faithfulness We don't like to talk about faithfulness because faithfulness puts the responsibility on what God can get from us Faith and faithfulness are not two separate Ideas they belong together faith is attached to faithfulness Faith is the belief and assurance of God's Word and all that he has done Faithfulness is living in agreement with their truth Daniel through the line and I'm gonna encourage you family Draw the line. The kingdom of darkness and the spirit of Babylon is alive and well. Identify its program and draw the line. Draw the line for your sake and draw the line for your family and household. Amen, can we stand?